a really quick and exciting announcement to make. The Menopause and Cancer podcast is now also on YouTube, and I'm so excited that more people now get to watch our conversations. So the link to the YouTube channel is in our show notes. Please go and subscribe to the channel so that more people who need to hear our conversations are able to find them. Thank you. Hi, I'm Danny Bennington and welcome to my podcast. This podcast is for anyone who's been affected by cancer and menopause. I'll be speaking to special guests and menopause experts to help us find solutions to our symptoms and of course, address the greater picture. We're going to talk about everything from mental health to physical health, sexual health to bone health and everything in between. Nothing is off limits, welcome. Welcome to today's episode on the podcast. Barbara Wilson was one of the first people in the UK to see a need to help people of working age affected by cancer to return to work and to campaign for better support services. She has made and continues to make a valuable contribution to the services being made available to those with cancer, as well as working carers. What Barbara brings to her work is a wealth of HR knowledge and an expertise gained at the most senior level and a really unique perspective based on her personal experience of cancer and returning to work. This is a testimonial I found on the workingwithcancer.co.uk website, talking about Barbara and her beautiful work, a testimonial by Professor Sir Michael Richards, who is the former cancer czar and chief inspector of hospitals. And I think it so beautifully sums up not just Barbara, and her wisdom and expertise, but also the work working with cancer bring to the table. Working with cancer support employers, employees, those that are self-employed, job seekers, career advice centers, carers, and health professionals. And I think this conversation is going to be so useful because for a long time I've been wondering, is cancer considered a disability? What are my rights? Who can I ask? And what is considered okay? How do I communicate all of this with my employer? What do I have to disclose if I want to find a new job? And then what about the menopause? If that is something that I feel affected by, maybe even a long time after my active cancer treatment. Let's welcome Barbara in. I'm really excited about this conversation. Hello, Barbara. Thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. My pleasure. So we just started talking and um, I would like for you to repeat what you've just explained to me. So when you help people return to work after a cancer diagnosis, you don't just help the individual, you also work with the employers. Can you tell us a little bit about how you work and the services you provide? Yeah, no, absolutely. So we were founded in 2014 and we're a social enterprise. And the main services we provide to anyone affected by cancer, so that includes not only those with cancer, but carers or family members or or colleagues, whatever, friends, is we provide uh, one-to-one coaching support for the individual to help them manage work and cancer. And that can be anyone with a primary or a secondary diagnosis, or they they could be, you know, in that stage of being uh, treatable but not curable, uh, but they want to continue working. Sometimes we work just with the individual. Sometimes we work with the employer. And when we're working with the employer and they're paying for the service, then we provide coaching support to their manager and to HR at the same time. 
So we're kind of facilitating conversations and we're making sure both sides are communicating properly and understand the issues and and, and that the individual can get back to work successfully if they wish to. The other service we provide is sort of consultancy support to, to big companies and small ones. And we also uh, run workshops for employers and for charities, and we run open workshops too. So anything around work and cancer, we do, basically. Which is um, so interesting because it's just opened up a whole other thinking path for me because initially what I really wanted to get out of our conversation today is how we can help all these individuals. I work with lots of people who are younger in their 30s and 40s diagnosed with cancer, but also there are lots of um, other women in particular who are in menopause after cancer who I work with and they're sometimes self-employed or trying to work. So my focus was on getting the most out of you to help these individuals. Right. But actually, it must be as difficult to navigate if you're a company employing people, regardless of the size, because it's not something you often come across. And so perhaps a smaller company without a big HR department would also find it difficult how to navigate that return successfully. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the interesting things at the moment is that because treatments are constantly developing and being targeted, you know, at, at specific cancers, Uh, There are more and more of us surviving cancer, and it's only in the last really five or 10 years that employers have had the issue of managing people who have managed to live through and after their treatment and want to continue working. I mean, maybe a bit, little bit longer, but fundamentally, most of the employers we deal with have never had to support uh, someone or manage somebody who has survived or is having cancer treatment. So most employers haven't, bless them, haven't got a clue what to do. So that's yeah. why we try and work with them if we can. And most of the people I speak to, they then not only survive or live as a thriver, as a cancer you know, thriver, mm. but they're also really worrying and having to live with very debilitating long-term side effects like the menopause that can yeah. really impact our life years and years and years after our active treatment has finished absolutely so that's why you know thank god for something like the equality act and hoping it doesn't get repealed by this new government um, which enables people well it, it protects people in employment from discrimination but enables people to ask for adjustments to support their return to work And, you know, it it can make a huge difference to people's lives to know not only that they're protected, but in a sense that they're empowered to ask for support. And if their employer acts against them, then potentially they could sue them for a a lot of money. So clearly everyone wants to do that. But it's important to know that, that we have, you know, people with cancer. I had cancer many years ago now. We have rights and an employer has responsibilities. Before we get into the nitty critics, that's really interesting because what we want to avoid, obviously, is having to sue anyone. Because if we do this properly with the right and support that you can give to individuals and companies, we would never have to get into messy situations like that. And we can all do it positively. Has your own cancer diagnosis, Barbara, got anything to do with the work you do now? Well, I guess so, because I, I was I was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2005 and I was then working as a human resources director at a very large investment management company in the city. Uh, I've been there many years and I had 
I didn't have any mastectomy. I had three lumpectomies on, on my right boob and I had my lymph nodes removed. I had uh, chemotherapy. I had radiotherapy. So I had the full kind of works. And then they put me on a, on a drug called anastrozole, which was like an early form of letrozole that many people are on after breast cancer. Um, I found it really, really difficult getting back into work, partly because I wasn't really prepared to tell my boss for reasons I don't understand now, but you know, it's life. I wasn't prepared to tell him how, apologies for the word, crap I was feeling, you know, I was feeling really ill and tired. And so, you know, I had two two sons, uh, teenage sons, uh, and I would go home, I basically kind of collapse uh, on, on the bed and sleep. I was work trying, tried to go back, back to work full time, which, well, I used to work like 14 hour days. I tried to work an eight hour day and couldn't and thought there must be something wrong with me. So that experience basically led me to realize how tough it was. And to cut a very long story short, it led me in due course to set up working with cancer because uh, the SAGE, certainly when I was diagnosed, there was absolutely no support at all anywhere in the world for people trying to manage working cancer. So I kind of got involved a bit with Macmillan and helped them set up their working cancer initiative. And then when I retired, I, I set up the company because people, despite the legislation, despite all the information that's out there now, still have enormous problems very often in trying yeah. to work. But my experience kind of led to that happening, basically. So, Barbara, do you feel in one of those sort of muddy days of you feeling exhausted, trying to do eight-hour days, do you feel you thought you were a failure for not being as good and as strong as you were before? Absolutely. I also thought because, you know, I got to the stage when I eventually I had to leave the company because basically my boss came up with the words which are deeply discriminatory, which was basically... Barbara you're not the person you used to be <laughs> why you know why isn't it time to move on I mean that that basically is a is a direct discrimination but it was you know there were times when I thought I'm unemployable I was 53 when I was diagnosed and I thought I'm a 53 year old woman I've had cancer no one is ever going to employ me and plus, I was still dealing with significant fatigue and peripheral neuropathy and, you know, foggy headedness. And I thought, you know, I'll never get another job again. And, and then I actually realized that that was rubbish and that, you know, I was kind of running myself down and, and you know, my brain was still functioning. Well, vaguely. Yeah. <laughs> and and I it does. That, you know, I just had to have faith in myself and and, and, and patience, actually, Danny, to kind of yeah. give myself time to recover. And I guess if we're feeling the fault is with us, rather than this is a normal state of being when we're in a chemical-induced menopause after a cancer diagnosis like you were, it's very hard to discuss that with any employer. Okay. I mean, what are we going to say? I can't sit on my chair for very long. I've got to dry a vagina. I don't think so. <laughs> no, and I mean, you know, when I was working also, and still is, in, you know, in the city, financial services, mainly men, you know, uh, the menopause was a joke. And I remember the first thing I did when I got back to the office, I had these terrible hot flushes. By the way, I still have hot flushes, um, which is just part of my genetics. I asked for a fan, okay? And my boss said, what do you want a fan for? On, on, like on my desk. 
and I said, well, I'm, I'm just get all these hot flushes, you know, and, it, and it's, it'll be a way of managing them. And, and I mean, they did provide a fan. I mean, it's something that you can ask for. It's not, it's not expensive, you know, to have just something on your desk. But I remember feeling, you know, could I really ask for this? And, yeah. you know, and, and the sort of things you can ask for, it's not a, it's not a big deal, but there are lots of things you can ask for, particularly if you've had cancer to help you manage something like the menopause. But there is that problem, particularly in organizations where there are a lot of men where, and I was you know, an older woman, it, it was all a bit of a, oh, well, you know, she's at that yeah. age. Yeah. And it's not, it's not funny. You know, it's not funny. Interestingly though, having said that, I am, um, I'm currently working, coaching a guy who's quite a senior management consultant at, at a big firm who's had prostate cancer and the treatment for prostate cancer often includes hormone therapy and men with prostate cancer having hormone therapy experience the menopause (laughs) and you know he said the women were joking with him about the fact he was having hot flushes and becoming forgetful and all the rest of it and it we were kind of he and I were laughing about it because I was saying it was nice for the boot to be on the other foot occasionally but um, yeah menopause is not really something to laugh about you know no anybody so how do we go from the feeling there is something wrong with me and should I even ask for help to is menopause a disability I actually don't know is menopause or no, let's no go back. Let's go back to cancer because that comes first for people that listening to our podcast. Is cancer considered a disability? Yeah. I mean, basically, under the Equality Act, which I mentioned earlier, 2010, cancer is considered a disability. And what that means is that you are, I say, protected in your employment and it's for your entire life. So it's not just during treatment or in the early stages of cancer, it's forever. And that does entitle you to a whole number of protections. And, and, you know, in some cases, for example, you can apply for things like a blue badge, you know, to help with with parking. Different councils have different different requirements for, for, for issuing those. But fundamentally, yes, you are for the purpose of employment, for the purposes of accessing goods and services, you're considered disabled, basically, forever. And, and then, as I said, the other part to the legislation is that you're entitled to a whole variety of workplace adjustments to help you manage your return to work, including a phased return. So if you have menopause as a result of your cancer, so, so let me go, let me kind of answer the question that you were going to ask. Yes, menopause, thank you. The menopause as such is not what's called a protected characteristic under the Equality Act. So it's like age, sex gender orientation and and cancer and other long-term conditions like, for example, Parkinson's or even long-term depression would be covered by the Equality Act. But at the moment, as things stand, the menopause is not covered unless it gave rise, potentially you'd need to get legal advice, gave rise to some kind of long-term condition that meant that you couldn't sort of function normally at any stage. Fundamentally, the menopause is not a protected characteristic, but because you've had cancer, if you've had cancer, then the menopause, uh, symptoms arising from the menopause would be covered under the Equality Act because they're a direct result from having had cancer. 
That's so, so interesting. I wonder if people know that. I, I wonder, not. everyone who is listening to this, tell Barbara, email Barbara, email me. I wonder if you know that. And what I'm so passionate about is really raising more awareness around the fact that we are in menopause and menopause after cancer is a big deal. Well, it's bad because, enough having cancer, let alone with menopause on top. Yeah. But often the expectation is life will go back to normal and people say, oh, the worst has happened. I've had my active treatment. And they're almost underestimating how difficult long term treatment or a surgical onset menopause can be. And yeah. And this is great to know that this is yeah. covered. Mm. Yeah, I think one of the problems also about having cancer, let's just put the menopause aside for one minute, is that recovery from cancer, as I discovered and has only really been discussed recently, is not what's called linear. So in other words, it's not like, you know, if you kind of break a leg or a wrist, normally, not always, but normally, um, each week is better than the last week. Yeah, so you can kind of, monitor and sense that you know each day you're getting a bit better the problem with cancer treatment and cancer side effects is that it can be a bit of a roller coaster so you can have typically you might have four or five weeks when you're feeling pretty good and then suddenly you might kind of hit a kind of hit a brick wall of fatigue and feel really poorly and part of the problem is with employers is that those who, who don't know about cancer and with individuals who've never been through this before is that you're expecting that you're going to get gradually better in fact your family and friends assume that straight after treatment everything's fine whereas actually you know it takes most people probably about 12 months to recover from all the side effects they've been through that's assuming that they're not still having various kind of treatments like herceptin infusions or whatever so ha people have these assumptions and then what happens is you don't fulfill those assumptions because very few people kind of have an immediate recovery. So what happens is then people lose, lose confidence. Your employer loses confidence, but you lose confidence also in yourself. So people yeah. say, well, you know, I should be feeling better than by, by now. I, I, th there must be something wrong because I'm not feeling as well as I should be. Now, the problem is that's, that that kind of cancer trajectory is then complicated by the menopause on top. Because mm -hmm. like radiotherapy is, is often exhausting. And then on top of that, you have menopausal symptoms, which are also exhausting. Um, the chemotherapy can make you foggy headed. Well, menopause also makes you foggy headed. So some people kind of think they're going nuts, you know. Yeah. So uh, confusing. Yeah. And they'll go to their doctor and they'll, say, oh, they'll be really depressed. And that could be a combination of two things. One, kind of confronting your mortality, which is not fun for anybody. And secondly, changes and swings in mood because you're going through the menopause and your hormones are all over the place. So what happens? People go to their GP and they describe and they prescribe, you know, antidepressants, sometimes very powerful opioids. And frankly, that's not really necessary. You know, people just need to understand that there may be in some cases, but sometimes it's just understanding that these things are kind of normal and there are strategies you can use for coping with foggy headedness. You know, you need to take breaks to manage your fatigue if you can. So there are strategies you can have which are not chemical. Um, yeah. frankly, when most of us have had cancer treatment, we don't want any more chemicals in us because we've had far too many already. <laughs> Um, yeah, which is why I don't think I want to stop talking until 
the management of menopause becomes part of integral cancer care yeah. because so many decades we have had improvements in the survival rates of cancer and rightly so and that's where our focus is and now I think it's about time to add another torch that shines on survivorship and how can we survive better and how can we seem to manage better and I do really believe it requires specialist care for every cancer patient that ends up or arrives in menopause whether that is temporary or permanent so that we have help, specialist help in managing that oh. in whichever way we can. Let's take a p- person listening to this back. You've been first diagnosed with cancer. Initially, you probably think you're going to have loads of doctor's appointments. How do we navigate that conversation with our employers? Well, I think it's because one of the problems with cancer still with people who when you have a cancer diagnosis, is you know some people will say, you know, I don't want to tell my employer because I don't want them to think badly of me. I don't want to be defined by my cancer. I'm a very private person. I don't like my my bosses, you know, those with breast cancer, for example, my boss is a man. I don't want to talk to him about it. We, we really kind of advise people as soon as you get a diagnosis or even before if you're having tests, talk to your employer if you if you can or or somebody in HR in other words don't kind of just keep it to yourself because the sooner that you can let your employer know what you're going through the sooner you can access support now the law kind of does say or at least kind of um, case law says that your employer could argue that if they don't if they don't know you're ill then how can they provide support for you if you haven't told them but you know case law will say well actually a good employer should know if their employee is unwell um, they should kind of you know make inquiries if someone is having a lot of doctors appointments you know are you okay is there anything I can do to help you a good employer should do that so the defense was, well, they didn't tell me is, is not is not one that stands up necessarily in law. But the longer you don't talk to people about what's going on, the more difficult it becomes to ask for that support sometimes. And it's more difficult to get the support you need. Often you need to kind of if you're just having those early tests, Danny, and you would had your diagnosis, you just need to let your employee know that actually this is what I'm going through actually, I, I might need some time, I'm going to need some time off. Um, one of the important things is, you know, who do you want to know about these things? So you can talk to your employer about who knows about it and who doesn't. So there's a lot of things you can get sorted out really quickly to access the support you need. If you don't do that, it's a very lonely process. Very lonely, very lonely. And then after our active cancer treatment usually we have a bulk of it and of course people might have active cancer treatment for decades yeah um, but maybe after sort of a, a phase of chemotherapy and radiotherapy and how do we then get back in is it that we're expected as soon as that finishes we're back to normal nine to five yeah, well, or can we yeah. still ask like, can exactly. we still say Exactly. <laughs> um, I think I think uh, what we, we have a kind of point, uh, a process where we kind of talk about there are four points when you need to talk to your employer about what's going on. One is kind of at the point of diagnosis. One is at the start of active treatment. 
but that means kind of continuing to keep in touch during active treatment. You may not be working. I mean, some people do. Some people work throughout chemotherapy. How they do that, I have no idea. I certainly, I was flattened by it, you know, for weeks. But it's good to keep in touch a little bit, okay? Then the next point for a kind of, what course of course, this is what I mean by structured conversations, is when you're about to return to work, maybe three or four weeks beforehand, and then the fourth time is kind of just keep, keeping talking once you're back at work. But that point, so the third point, when it's kind of thinking about going back to work, it's important to kind of talk to your employer and potentially occupational health, if that's available, potentially your oncologist or your GP, depends who you're seeing most of. Often it's your oncologist or your cancer nurse specialist and begin to put together a return to work plan. Now, a return to work plan isn't set in stone, but it's a kind of flexible plan that says, okay, on day, you know, I'm going to, for example, I'm going to go into the, uh, I'm going to go into work a few days before uh, or a week before I'm due to go back to work, just to kind of have a cup of coffee with a few people and say hi, okay, and just check out like my my phone and my desk and my computer, as it were. And then, you know, day one, I might just, again, have mainly have a couple of cups of coffee with people. My boss might come and say hi and people might come and wish me well. And I might do a few hours work and then go home. And then I might, and that might be week one. Week two might be I'm just doing half a day a week or one day a week for the next fortnight. So in other words, it's a very gradual phased return. But there's a plan that you discuss with your boss about what I think, what you'll be doing. It might be a change of duties for a little while. You know, if you're on reception in, a, in an office and you've lost your hair and you're not feeling great about being a receptionist, then there might be some backroom work you can do for a little while, yeah? So it's talking about your hours, what you're doing, where you're doing it, time off you're going to need for medical appointments. It's worth letting people know. I you know I've got appointments on this day and that, and this day I'm having acupuncture and that day I'm having aromatherapy and this day I'm having a massage. So letting your employer know because you have you're allowed time off for these things. Yeah. Doesn't wow. So if anyone is listening to this thinking, oh, I didn't know I could get time off for a massage, because I'm imagining this phase of returning back to work because I haven't gone through it you see which is why I'm so inquisitive because I was at home with the children I was working freelance the twins were two Rosa was four and so I was in the middle of being a young mum sort of I didn't have an employer to go back to but I can imagine that brings up so many anxieties when you go first back into the office meeting all your colleagues your body image has changed you might just want to pretend you're normal you've got this you're probably like a swan peddling underneath one anxiety sort of yeah after the other and um, if anyone is listening to this thinking well how can I then say I've had all this time off through active treatment and now I'm going to say to my employer oh I've got to have time off I've got a massage or a reflexology appointment I mean it, it, you're allowed it they don't have to pay wow. you. You, they don't have to pay you but you're allowed the time off and it might be that some appointments you're you know, we're all different. So some people might say, well, actually, I'll try and have my acupuncture late, late one day or, or you know, I'll, I'll, I'll use a bit of holiday to have that for a while. But you're entitled to, uh, to, to have these things because they're basically, you know, medically helping with your recovery, basically, Wonderful. your physical and your mental 
recovery. And I, and I think, you know, it's important to say that people can understand they have rights. And it's important also for your employer to know they have responsibilities towards you. So it, this is not about saying, I mean, one of the problems as well is employers often making comparisons. So, you know, the classic thing is you, you tell your boss you've got breast cancer and he says, oh, yeah, I know about that. My mum had breast cancer or my aunt had breast cancer. There's absolutely no comparison between people. So people will have false expectations about what they what they or, or you know I know someone who worked all the way through cancer so yes. why can't oh. you well you know we're all we're all different so it's important that people understand that this is not a one-size-fits-all for anyone and there are lots of things you can ask for we do have on our website for those who are interested we've got some best practice guides for employees employers, colleagues, and working carers. And that sets out all this stuff about rights and responsibilities and, and yeah, when you should talk about cancer and what you should say. So Yeah, and I'll definitely link that in the show notes as well. Now, I imagine there are so many different contracts of how we can be employed. We've got different hours, different companies from two people bands to thousands of people in an organization. Where and how can anyone who's listening to this check their rights? Is that we can go on your website and read what you've provided, but where else can we check what our rights are? Um, there'll be oh, there'll be lots of things. There'll be things like ACAS. There'll, there's the kind of the gov.uk website. There'll be things about the Equality Act and your okay. rights. Uh, Macmillan Cancer Support have a terrific website, so there'll be lots on there about your rights. Brilliant. Um, uh, so yeah, there there will be lots of places. And just just put Equality Act into a, a search engine, and you'll get lots lots of information. Yeah, brilliant. And now, what happens if, for example, you left your work because your cancer treatment took a long time? You left work, or perhaps you weren't working, and you were still at university when you were diagnosed with cancer. Yeah. And then a little bit later on, you decide, I'm going for a job. What and how much do I have to say and what is helpful to say? Okay, you don't have to say anything. It's a really interesting area you've raised, Danny, because, um, you know, we work with people who are teenagers who've had cancer as, uh, as children or young adults and are looking for jobs. And we've worked with lots of people who are looking for work. A lot depends on how you are as a person. So the law protects you from as it were, not getting a job because you've got cancer. Again, it's part of the Equality Act. So, for example, if you were to accept a job, then tell your employer you've had cancer and they'd say, right, well, I'm not employing you now. You know, you can you can walk. That is direct discrimination and, you know, is illegal again. So unfortunately, it would mean going to court and et cetera, et cetera. But frank, fundamentally, it's illegal. If you're going for a job, and you're perfect, like if you're like me and you're now perfectly well, you know, there's no reason to disclose I've got cancer. It, I had cancer. I, I'm perfectly fine. There's nothing visible. I mean, I might have the odd medical appointment, but it's not a big deal. There's no need to tell anyone anything at any stage. If I'm still in treatment, then I think it is important to let your employer know. The question is when. Now, if yeah. you've got signs of visible illness and you're, you know, you've got mobility problems or you're, you know, you've lost your hair or 
you know, your eyebrows or whatever, and it's difficult, then I think it's worth trying, you know, going to interview and explaining an interview if it comes up. I mean, your employer, again, is not allowed to ask you whether you've had cancer or, or sort of make the questions relevant to, well, if she's had cancer, I'm not employed, I'm going to employ her. But if you're clearly visibly still recovering, then I think it's worth telling the employer at that stage with confidence. So it could be, yes, you know, I've been having cancer treatment. I'm perfectly physically well enough to do this job. I'm absolutely well qualified in this area. I'm, you know, I I think you're a terrific organization. I've got a lot to offer. So in other words, you do the interview as someone who's you and you, you happen to have cancer, but that's not cancer isn't what you're putting right in front of the employer as that's defining who you are yeah mm-hmm. the the other option that is that is often perfectly acceptable is where you accept a job so in other words you you've gone for the job you haven't told anyone you've got you've had cancer maybe you're having a bit of treatment you know you're still having a septin infusions or whatever and you're you know you're not at your 100% best but you, you're offered the job, you accept it. And then once you've accepted it orally or in writing, but you can do it just orally, then you tell your employer, I need to let you know that I'm still having treatment for cancer. At that mm-hmm. stage, you've accepted the job, you've entered a contract with them. So then if they withdraw the offer, again, they're breaking the law. That's, That's really, yeah. really helpful to know. Because I can imagine that perhaps lots of people listening to this, still really feel affected by their menopause symptoms, maybe five, even 10 years after their active cancer treatment is long finished. And so we might be really thinking, there's no way I can bring up cancer. Like, we don't want to play the cancer card. Of course we don't. No. But if we're still feeling the impact of, like you say, brain fog and fatigue, and we might have the odd appointment here or there, what adjustments are reasonable to ask for for, for, is this for for a new new job or for a if I'm in a new job or if I'm in a job so what's reasonable to say you're not so impacted that you can't do your job but you've still got the menopause is affecting you it's years after what yeah what can you sort of ask for what's reasonable I mean I think mentioned the fan didn't you I I mean I I think there's an interesting gray area which uh, I'm not, and I'm not a lawyer. Let's be clear. So the the grey area is when when do the menopausal symptoms arise from cancer treatment, and when do they just arise because you're at that stage in your life? So I mean, I have menopausal symptoms now, but as genetically, unfortunately, I still get them. So, but they arise because they're not they're arising from my cancer. They're arising just because of my genetics. So if I were to ask as an employee for adjustments because of menopause, potentially an employer could say, well, actually, these symptoms don't really arise from your cancer. They arise because it's it's you. So they could say, I'm not so sure about that. But if you can still show that they're arising, particularly these young women who were young, you know, in your in your early, you know, in your 20s, 30s, early 40s, Uh, mid to late 40s if they're arising clearly from the fact you've been given a put into a clinically induced menopause then you can yes you can ask for clearly a fan is a a small thing Um, you can ask you know you 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 can ask for for example um, time off to have 
appointments to help you cope with the menopause. You could ask for longer to do some training if you had to do some training because you might need more time just to kind of get to grips with some of the information. You know, I used to do a lot of mandatory training in financial services and things about, you know, um, money laundering, for example. Um, wow. And, you know, you have to do the, the training in a certain amount of time to show that you understand. Well, if you're going through the menopause and you're a bit foggy headed, you might need a bit longer to complete that, yeah. that training yeah. program. You could ask to have your desk lo- relocated near a window, for example. If you're if you're having days when you're particularly unwell, then, you know, you, you, clearly you can you can go sick or you could ask for some flexible working. Um, so, you know, work, working from home on certain days, if you know that you're or, or you, you because that would be helpful. Or you could ask to have certain, you know, have more breaks during the day if you're feeling really tired from, you know, you've got significant fatigue, just to take a break to be able to either, you know, have a quick kip somewhere, lay down or yeah. go yeah. and have a walk, walk around. Because sometimes, as certainly as I found, if you're feeling tired, sometimes just to be able to get up and go for a 10 minute, 20 minute walk somewhere, it actually kind of can be a bit refreshing. So there, there are various things you could ask for. Which is so interesting because I can just imagine if you have to go through that training, the first instinct probably would be, oh, gosh, I can't think. And the blame is again with us that we think, oh, gosh, I used to be able to do this and now I can't and I'm a bit thick and look how stupid I've turned. And we've often got this very negative language towards us, which I guess if we're feeling like that, we then work late. We'll take the work home with us. We're tired anyway. We might have family or other responsibilities at home. And then we log back onto work to catch up on what we didn't manage to do during the day. Yeah. Which is just going to throw us into more of a vicious cycle. And, and we're then going to be more fatigued, feeling less good about ourselves. But if mm-hmm. we actually had the confidence to say, I know I could ask for extra time within work or my deadlines being extended. Yeah. Or, that or could stop that reduction, reduction in duties, uh, uh, you know, yeah. for, a, for, a, for a temporary period. You know, those are yeah, all yeah. you can ask for. Yeah. Which, it is about having the confidence, Danny. And, and, I, and, I, and I know it's really, really tough, you know. Yeah. And, um, some some employers make it really really difficult, and obviously, if you're self-employed, that has its own series of issues that come with it. Because I mean, clearly, you're not employed by someone, but you're going to have clients who have expectations, and, it, and then it's about managing those expectations uh, in a way that is, you know, where, where you feel comfortable with 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 telling them what you know that you you may need a little bit longer, whatever, to to complete yeah. something. But I think, you know, one of the things we do is we just try and give people the understanding that it's not that they're a bad person. It's not like that. They're not you're not damaged. You're not diminished. You're a human being, you know, who happens to be experiencing something that, you know, you didn't bring on yourself. You know, it's a consequence of what's happened. And you're still the same talented, clever dynamic brilliant person you were before but you're just going through this difficult period and an employer in particular has a right to support you while you cope with those things so I think I think it's important to understand that none of us are diminished or damaged by cancer you know we are all of us unique in our own way and we have unique special talents to bring to the work that we do you know cancer is a nightmare 
but it doesn't mean that we can't still function really well once we put in place the strategies to manage cancer and its impact. Thank you. And thank you for all the work you do in helping us navigate the return back to work or starting work again or any issues like that. We're going to put all of your details at the bottom of this so people can read your resources and, and find you and employers and employees alike. Thank you, Thank Danny. you, Barbara. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank and you. it's so wonderful because although we're recording this podcast through our electronic devices, we're actually only a few miles apart, aren't we? Absolutely. <laughs> So just for anyone listening to this, Barbara and I sit in the same village. And believe it or not, we live in a small village in Surrey. And when I first Googled help, how do I return to work after menopause or in cancer, <laughs> after cancer in menopause, um, I, um, your address came up and it's amazing. So thank you. It's lovely to speak to a local, wonderful yeah. person. And uh, and well, well, you know, it, it's lovely working with you. It's great that we've discovered each other. And, yes. uh, you know, let's continue supporting people who, who've got cancer and trying to cope with all the deep joys that ar- arise from, from having that in the first place. Thank you, Barbara. Thank you. All the very best. I just think it's brilliant how we ended this conversation because I feel so often that my cancer journey or menopause really sort of defined me or even my outlook on life and Barbara's closing words are beautiful and full of hope and also with the right support and the right information for employees and employers and everyone affected we can make it really positive and like Barbara says maybe we aren't the same maybe our capacities aren't quite the same to what they used to be maybe we need more time more breaks whatever it might be We can bring so much to the table and we can continue to bring so much to our working lives, our careers, our futures with the right support and help. And I hope this conversation with Barbara helped you look at your working life, at your future in a different light, maybe. And even if you are years after your active treatment, maybe now is the right time to relook things and think and look back and think, how do I go forward? Look at Barbara's website, workingwithcancer.co.uk and um, feel free to get in touch with her. They're um, a brilliant, brilliant organization with a brilliant team that can help you further if you need the support. As always, we are a really small podcast, but I'm so excited that we're in the top 5% of all podcasts, which always amazes me when I hear that. It's incredible, isn't it? That so many people affected by cancer and menopause uh, tune into our conversation. So reach out to me if you think you want to contribute to the podcast if you want to be on the podcast if you have an idea we've got loads of subjects and topics coming up menopause after gynae cancers we've got womb cancer special sessions coming up so much but as always i would really appreciate for you to take the time out to rate and review the podcast um, as it will just help the algorithm show the podcast to others who might be looking for information like this Thank you very much for listening. You know where you can find me. You can always email hello at healthyholme.com with ideas, suggestions, or even with criticism or constructive feedback of how we can improve our sessions. I'm really hoping that everyone listening to our conversations just feel 
that there is something they can do, whatever that might be, to improve how you're feeling if you're somewhere in the muddle of menopause after cancer. <laughs>